2: all lowercase.
1: That's shopify.com slash tech.
2: Hey everyone, perhaps the biggest news since the start of Smart People Podcast, I am launching a new podcast. It's called The Week on Earth. It is produced by Peabody award-winning producer, Elise Louis, music done by a Grammy award-winning musician and hosted by me and my brother. It's unlike anything you've ever heard and we're running a giveaway to all who subscribe. So listen to the intro coming up now and get more details and go follow The Week on Earth wherever you listen to podcasts. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five.
0: Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't
2: understand that. (laughs) As a man, I just, I don't get it.
0: Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
2: Smart Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, so excited to have you. This week on the show, we're talking to Will Storr, an incredible writer, and we're talking specifically about his new book called The Status Game on human life and how to play it. In short, the thesis of this book in this episode is that status is the primary driver of Of everything we do. And on its face, that idea might not shock you. It might, when you look at the animal kingdom, that makes sense. But how we define status, how it changes over time, how that impacts your behavior, and how you can utilize this to be happier is really useful knowledge and will present it to us in a very succinct way. So I can't wait to bring this one to you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, transitioning a bit. I haven't been this excited in a long time. In fact, it's been 12 years since we last launched a podcast. Yes, I'm talking about Smart People Podcast. But your boy, Chris Stemp, is launching a new podcast as we speak. It is called The Week on Earth. That podcast features a short section of weekly news regarding the climate and then about a 20 to 30 minute in-depth highly produced story on a specific environmental challenge. So for example, episode one is actually about toilet paper. Do you know the negative implications the toilet paper you use has on the environment and the simplest switches you can make to literally help save the world? And the podcast is expertly done. I brought on Peabody award-winning producer, Elise Louis, Grammy award-winning musician, Amy Eileen Wood, and a special co-host. So here's what I want you to do. Right now, pause this, go to your podcast player, preferably Apple if possible, because we're trying to rank, and follow the week on earth. In Apple, it's just the plus mark at the top right-hand corner when you search for it. Because we're trying to get the word out, we're doing a giveaway. All you have to do is follow the podcast in your podcast player, screenshot it, and email it to me at Chris smartpeoplepodcast.com, and you will be entered into the giveaway. The prizes are, we're giving away a Fire HD 8 Plus tablet, 32 gigs, new tablet, brand new, straight from Amazon, you'll get it. And we're giving away two brand new Fitbit Inspire 2 health and fitness trackers with one year of free Fitbit premium. Okay, so we're giving away about $300 in stuff, and I bet we're going to get only like 100 submissions. So you do the math. It's pretty good odds for A minute of your time. So follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Screenshot that you're doing that. Email it to me at chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. And the beginning of October, we will pick the winners and let you know who it is. Go steal your wife's phone, your kid's phone, subscribe, screenshot, email it to me. You can get three, four submissions as long as they're different phones. Chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Okay, let's get into the episode with Will Storr as we talk about his incredible new book, The Status Game, on human life and how to play it. We're here to talk about your new book, The Status Game, on human life and how to play it. Tell me why you decided to write about this idea of status and how you define status in the first place.
1: Okay, so I'll start with the definition. The definition is like so often when you talk about, we call it status in the UK. So we're going to have that weird thing.
2: Ah, uh, that's
0: okay.
1: But when we talk about, you know, when people think about status, they often think about like being rich or famous. And when when, when I'm saying, well, everybody cares about status. What I'm saying is, everybody wants to be rich or famous, and that's, that's not what it is. So it's just the feeling of being valued, you know. People need to feel valued. They need to feel that the people that they share their lives with uh, see them as a, a valuable person with skills and you know abilities and kind of virtue that they're kind of bringing to the table. And um, it's a fundamental human need. It's a universal. Um, when we don't feel valued, we get depressed. We get ill. When we do feel valued, we feel like our lives are going well and we're thriving. So that's what we that's what we mean by status. Technically, it's the feeling of being valued and. Um, I, I think I, I decided to write about the book because it was once I started sort of reading up on it, I sort of quickly began to realise it's such an important thing. It's so fundamental to human life, like on the personal level, on the macro, huge kind of society level, that it kind of started. I, I it was one of the things we were, we start wondering why hasn't a book about this already in this, you know, in, in this way. So it, it was like. Yeah, I found it like a really exciting subject to write about because it's just so unbelievably important.
2: What you're saying is really status is the need to feel valued. Mm. Tell us about how you have arrived at the conclusion that this is a fundamental human need.
1: Well, it wasn't me that arrived at that conclusion. Obviously, uh, it was um, it was lots and lots of psychologists, anthropologists, you know, people in academia. Um, uh, you know, one study, for example, looked at people across like, tens of thousands of people across 186 countries around the world, and found that the level of kind of status that they felt they had in their communities was a stronger predictor of their happiness than money. You know, so so so, so you know that that's just one um, strand of it. There's another strand um, from our evolutionary history. You know, uh, um, researchers find that. Um, even in pre-modern groups, the kind of groups we'd have been evolving in tens of thousands of years ago, the kind of groups have been when our brains were evolving, uh, the more status that you earn in those groups, um, the more food you get, the safer your sleeping sites, the better the conditions of life become for your children, uh, the greater your choice to access of mates. So it's this basic heuristic, it's this basic rule your subconscious brain knows and has known for at least tens of thousands of years, probably millions of years, and that is go for status. <laughs> because if you go for status, everything else gets better. You know, and we share this with animals, of course, too. You know, animals are constantly jostling for you know, rank and position. Um, hens peck at each other until their pecking order is established. So, you know, it's a very, very deep, ancient and elemental um, rule that human brains and non-human animal brains know, too, which is, you know, if you go for status, everything gets better.
2: Yeah. And when I learned about your book, this is what jumped out to me, right? Was, oh, wait, I thought this was going to be about money and fame and all of that. And then my next question, and what I wanted to say for you was, how did we get there? How did we get to making this idea of status synonymous with riches?
1: So, so, so our brains have evolved not to crave money, because obviously money hasn't been around long enough to have that effect on our brains, It's uh, evolved to crave status. And the interesting thing about status, we, the human brains are so obsessed with it, we can use basically anything to count for status. Like, you know, if, we, if we're in a, in a lift in a hotel, we play a little status game, we, we are unconsciously judging how people are dressed, who's got the fanciest baggage. Even if somebody stands too close to us, we take that as an assault, so they can insult, it's like a lack of respect, it's a knock on our status. So the brain, the brain can use anything to stand for status. The, thing, the weird thing about status is it's not like a thing that exists in the world, you can't touch it. So, so, so it's not like, you know, so you can't count your status. So, so, so we're very chippy about it, like, how much status do I actually have? We're constantly measuring it. Like so, you know, psychologists talk about the, the brain has this what they call a status detection system. that's even measuring things like the amount of eye contact you're receiving with numerical precision. So we're constantly, constantly kind of measuring um, our status. And of course, with the invention of money, that's a major thing. That's a big thing that we can play status games with. Um, not, not only because it's it's a literal kind of counter, like we can count how much money we have versus the people around us. Um, also, we can buy stuff which symbolizes status with that money, better houses, better cars, better watches. So, you know, the invention of money was a massive accelerator in terms of the ways we play status games. Uh, just like the invention of social media has been a massive accelerator in, in, which you, in, in the way we play status games.
2: What is the impact of the focus on status on us as humans?
1: What would I believe is it's the best and the worst of us. It's the worst of us because... Um, you know when people feel their status is threatened they behave in terrible ways and and that's because that's what we are that's what humans do Um, but also it's the best of us you know um, we wouldn't have civilization without the craving for status you know we wouldn't you know we wouldn't have technology we wouldn't have Um, you know clean water we wouldn't have vaccinations so so so, you know what one of the ways one of the major ways that we measure our status is incompetence in the book of old success games you play success games in which we compete to be the most competent people in the particular game we're playing the best scientist, the best technologist, the best inventor of this that or the other so 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 that urge to be the best to, to be better than him and her um, is an incredibly um, constructive, powerful, and motivating thing. So when I say it's the best and the worst of us, I mean I mean that literally. You know, the status yeah. is implicated in holo- in, in um, the Holocaust. I write about the Holocaust and in the in, in in the terrible things that happened in the Soviet Union. But it's also implicated in the space race and in the invention of the iPhone and you know the, you know the discovery of vaccinations and the, and and the fact that we're all living relatively normal lives in the middle of a COVID pandemic. So status is indicated in all that, too.
2: What about the idea that status is only a measure of comparison? We've heard the studies of the biggest house in a poor neighborhood will make you feel happier than the smallest house in a rich neighborhood, right? Again, comparison. Does that naturally pit us against each other? The fact that we all crave status, which is only based on those around us in our tribe.
1: Yeah, in in a sense it does. So the brain works in contest mode. It's constantly working in contest mode because status can only ever be relative. Um, there isn't a ground zero for status. You know, it's not like a, you know, we, we play like board games. We play games, for example. And, you know, when we play games like sports and Monopoly, That they're using the status game mechanism we're exploiting that, those same kind of neural mechanisms, and it, but in those games, there's a zero. You can have zero points and hundred points, and there's a target. But in real life, it isn't like that. You know, you, your constant, your you're, your level of status is constantly in flux. You can be feeling on top of the world at one minute, and then somebody insults you in a supermarket, or, or in the next minute, and you're feeling down there again. You know, that's life: up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. So, so, so yeah, it's it's it, 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 um, it's you know, it's a um, a recognizable part of the human condition that we are in, in that constant roller coaster of feeling good about ourselves and bad about ourselves, and a lot of that is to do with the fact that, as you say, status is is relative. Um, when you look at um, research into suicide, you find that um, people who have sudden losses of status are highly vulnerable to suicidal ideation, but so are people who stay still whilst everybody else in their group accelerates, those people also become more vulnerable to suicidal ideation. Yeah. So, 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 so you know, that's one of the kind of, you know, in, in some ways unfortunate ramifications of the status game is that we are constantly comparing ourselves to the people around us. We can't help it. You, you know, it's automatic, it's unconscious, it never stops. Um, so, so, so it's always going on. And it has the power to make us feel amazing, but it also has the power to make us feel terrible.
0: Yeah. No matter who well, we I mean, are,
1: you know, Elon Musk, Elon Musk can be made to feel terrible. Beyonce can be made to feel terrible if they read the wrong thing about them or if they're insulted by somebody that they respect. Right.
2: As you were talking about it, it reminds me of uh, potentially the goal of much of Eastern philosophy or meditation or Buddhism is to remove the craving for status from the human. Do you believe that to be true? Is it possible, and
1: is that a decent goal to strive towards? Okay, so it's not possible. Like it, it just isn't possible. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that if you really practice meditation, you will, you, you can kind of lessen your attachment to the need for status. I don't doubt that, but you cannot eradicate it. And in the book, I talk about a study of nearly four thousand people in the Netherlands where they. Um, found people who specifically meditated to, I think the the way they phrased it was remove attachment to ego needs. And they found that these people scored extremely high in what they called spiritual superiority. So, So when they got really good at meditating, they started to feel quite pleased with themselves. And actually... They started to feel quite superior to all those other people around them didn't have the amazing insights that they had into into realities. And and, you're laughing. I I was laughing when I read about the study and it's funny because it's true. It's one of those ones where it's funny because it's true. We we recognize it because it's totally human behavior. We can completely predict that about human beings. If they get good at something, no matter what it is, they're going to start feeling pleased with themselves and looking down at people slightly who aren't as good at that thing that they are because, you know, that's the status game. So yeah, even when you zero in on people specifically who meditate to get rid of ego, um, you find that they are the, 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 their meditation actually, I mean, the, the, the researcher in a paper said that what she found was the very opposite of enlightenment.
2: Well, and this is where I struggle, which is I recognize the need this drive. It's the reason we're top of the food chain. We can't sit still. One of my favorite Buddhist quotes is the hardest thing for a human to do is sit in a room by himself, right? It, it's not how we're designed. But as all things are yin and yang in this world, I also find it to be the greatest source of pain. And so mm-hmm. how can we live a better life, a more purposeful, authentic life, recognizing this? inherent need for status will always be with us
1: yeah i mean you you, you make an interesting point about you, you know like it's a thought experiment you could say where what if what if mindfulness meditation did actually work and, and it was possible to eradicate uh, the need for status um from people's minds completely and what if everybody just did this well then progress would stop it would be a total disaster for the human animal if if, if that was true if, if if the ambitions of the buddhists um, were realized and it became universal it would be the end of progress it would be a disaster so you know it, it, it kind of weirdly it, it's all you, you can almost see the like i, I can totally understand it and, and you know i've meditated in the past I'll, I'll probably take it up again i get it you know I, I you know i as much as anybody else especially as a writer you know the status game hurts me every day <laughs> it does mm, yeah. it's a course of huge misery for me you yes know? yeah And lots of people so so i'm not here you know completely waving the flag for it but it's also been some of my greatest moments too you know like being reviewed in the new york times it's an, you know it's an amazing thing you know um so um you know it, it it's the up and the down and and, and um uh, yeah I, I completely sympathize with people who 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 would would want to rid themselves of it, but, but it would also be a catastrophe for, for us as people. And so the second part of your question was, how can we, how can what was it? How can we could have, you know, acknowledged its, its problems? Well, in the book, you know, I talk about there's three basically different kinds of status game that humans play. There's the dominance game, which we've been playing since we were animals. So that's millions of years old and that's threat, violence, when somebody forces you to attend to them in status, in sort of deference, I should say, um, as if they're a high-status person, that's dominance. And that can be also about bullying. That can be kind of social media, cancel, mobbing, whatever. You know, if someone's threatening you and forcing you to kind of be deferential to them, that's dominance. So that that's the oldest form of status game. That's very animalistic. Um, but, you know, humans are really good at playing these other two, two forms of status game. And that's... Um, virtue and success so virtue games are one about morality about um following the rules knowing the rules enforcing the rules uh, about belief about do you believe do you believe the things our tribe believes and how how sincerely do you believe them those are kind of virtue games so you can see religion religion is a virtue game um r- royalty in the uk is a virtue game it's all about deference it's all about knowing the rules it's all about believing and, and, and acknowledging the um, you know the, the the magnificence of the queen, and you know <laughs> these very flawed people. Um, so that they're virtue games, but there's also success games. It, you know, we, you know that's the other way that we are valuable to other people is is by being competent. And in the groups in which we evolved, um, you could w- win status by being the best storyteller, the best uh, tuber finder, the best hunter, the best warrior. So you know, to me, that is the best of human nature: these success games, these people who um, pursue competence um, to you know extreme ends and become amazing at what they do. Um, you, you know, so, so I think I think that is the most um, um, that, that that's the most progressive, helpful, um, kind of wonderful form of status game: are these success games? And of course, like anything, it can go wrong. You know, you you, you could see um amazon as a as a success game jeff Be- bezos but but also you know in some in lots of these corporate success games th- th- there's a dearth of virtue and actually the workers end up being treated very badly you know people at foxconn throwing you know throwing out windows and so on so so um so, so so you know in the book i talk about success virtue games you know games that are about um competence but but have this kind of virtuous end. So you you, you can say somebody running a marathon in aid of breast cancer is playing. That's about success and virtue. It's a success virtue game. Somebody um, devoting their lives to finding a, you know, um, a, a vaccine for, Covid is that that's a, that that's a, all about competence. They're they're being judged. They're being stages being awarded on how good their vaccine is, and that's that's what their game is. It's all about how good their vaccine is. But it has this enormous virtuous end. It's not all about who's going to be the who's going to have the most billion pounds in their bank and have one of those door, cars that doors do that. Right, it's right. About, I'm going to be saving lives. So 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 so, so that's what I talk about in the book that you know we should we should play success games, but also kind of success games have this kind of virtuous results at the end of them they're the best that's the best of human nature
0: this episode is brought to you by rocket money i've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances at the end of a busy week the last thing i want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions i no longer use but now i use rocket money and it does all of that for me rocket money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month's, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com smart. That's rocketmoney.com.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If we
2: know we're going to play these status games, if we know it is the fundamental driver for our day-to-day actions for the most part, I would imagine the best we can do is try to align what do we value, what do we enjoy to the status we want to achieve. And perhaps yeah. where we go wrong and when people feel the, the, the worst of themselves is when they feel like the status they are chasing is in and of itself not one that they enjoy or want to achieve, which is, I think, one of the biggest problems, especially in Western society, which is where we have determined the rules of the status game and not everybody wants to play on those specific rules.
1: That, that makes perfect sense. And, and I, you know, I write about that in, in, in the book about how there's this you know, evolutionary mismatch, really, you know, we, we, I, I, we still have hunter gatherer brains, we have Stone Age brains, right. the brains that we have haven't evolved very much, you know, that much uh, since those days, and certainly not in terms of our cravings for status. So we, we've evolved to play small status games in in relatively small groups of people. We haven't evolved to feel like we're competing with all of the world. We haven't evolved to play status games on the corporate level where we're not one of 25 people, perhaps, um, in, in a, in, you know, in a, in, a, in a mobile band. We're one of 25,000, <laughs> you know. So, so, so you know, I, I'm convinced that a lot of the 21st century misery and alienation and hopelessness that we feel is because we we, we feel – it, it, it's much harder for us to feel of value in the modern world than it was back in the days of the tribe. Back in the days of the tribe, your tribe was the whole world. You know, you were aware of other tribes, but your tribe, you know, but but your kind of patch of territory that was the world, and 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 you were the humans on it. You know, so and, and so so you know, and, and if you brought back a, a great kill as a warrior, or if you had a great, you know, found a great bounty of sweet potatoes you know you were the hero you know if you if you'd have um if you'd have told the tribe an amazing story and they loved it and were entertained around the campfire you were the hero your life you felt like you were thriving it's much harder to feel like that in the 21st century and so there's an anecdote that i tell in this in, in the book where um you know years ago i went i was reporting a story for the guardian newspaper in the uk about it, it was a profile of the of britain's Best paid male escort, and he and he came from a small uh, small um, village in Wales, and it was an old mining village, and and so I went back to his village um, to interview his parents and his old friends, his former friends, and we were walking around this town called Amarnford. and um, this guy was this young man in his early twenties was talking about the changes that's happened to Ammanford, and he said, you know, in my sort of you know Dan's era, the mines were open and people were really proud to work down the mines, down the pits. There was a great community. And you know um, there was huge pride, um, and there were also all these local businesses. You know there were there was the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You know, and, you know if you weren't working down the mine, you owned a business, and that's a huge source of status. But what's happened is all the mines have closed down, and the big supermarkets have come in. You know, Tesco over here is a bit like Walmart in the states. You know, huge big box retailer. So all the all the individual Um, small businesses have closed down now and he says so now what do we do and he said you know back when you were working for your parents butcher shop and you knew that one day you were going to own the butcher shop you felt important you felt your life had meaning and purpose you just don't get that from working at the meat counter at Tesco's you just don't it's the same job technically but you just don't get that and and that, that was a huge thing for me when he said that because I'd never heard it expressed before because if you're thinking like an economist, you're thinking, well, they've all got jobs. They're, they're, they're butchers. But no, if you actually compare, yeah, if you compare their income, it might be the same. And if, you, and if you compare technically their job, it's the same. But the level of status, the level of value that they take from doing that job is completely different. And, you know, of course, like, like in a lot of the poor communities in the US, you see lots of drug abuse. You see homelessness. You see, you know, you know, the, the question was all about why did this guy escort leave Wales, and that that was why because this is so much hopelessness there
2: right well will can you solve it for me because what you just hit on <laughs> uh, un, un, un unexpectedly okay what you just hit on is like one of the greatest sources of discontent i have and many people i talk to which is this i want to live a decent life right i, I live in a high cost of of living area um So in order to do that, I have to work, you know, there's a lot of options, but a common one is work at a job and it's got a lot of stress in it. And because in order to make the money, you have to have that. Mm -hmm. And what many of us around here realize is we don't matter. We don't matter. Your company will write your job description before your family will write your obituary if you die. You know what I mean? And so. How in this construct can we, we have not evolved to be like this. We can't be the one who made the COVID vaccine. We just can't. Listen, if you're listening, you won't do that. Um, (laughs) It's just odds. I don't know how then to give hope to anyone listening. (laughs) If we are in a world that almost makes it impossible to ever be content with our status.
1: Okay. So, so there are a few things to say about that. Like I totally hear what you're saying uh, and I agree, uh, but I think there are a few things that, you, that that are kind of give us a bit of optimism and a bit of hope. Good. And the first thing is that your job doesn't have to be your only status game. And in fact, in the book, I, I recommend slightly hypocritically, but I recommend playing multiple games. And I recommend that not because I'm good at that myself, but because that's what the data suggests is that people who, have multiple sources of status are much happier and much more emotionally kind of regulated. They have less highs and lows. They're they're much more stable. So play many games, you know, your job doesn't have to be your main status game. Of course, if if you, if you, if you you take no value from the job that you're doing, that's bad. You know, that you're going to, that there's going to be a certain amount of misery in your life, but that doesn't have to be your whole life. You know, um, a hobby is a status game. A religion is a status game. You know, um, since I've written the book, I became very conscious that I um, uh, only have one status game, and that's being a writer, which makes me very vulnerable to anything that goes wrong. I, you know, freak out, and it's like oh, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. Get a bad review in the newspaper, even though no one read, it, no one's read it, no one cares. <laughs> um, so you know, so I've, you know, I've taken up cycling, and I and I, and I and I noticed that as soon that I was cycling, but as soon as I started logging my date my rides on an app. And I could see my numbers. I started playing status games with myself. Well, I've done that, um, you know. This week, next weekend, I'm going to do that. And, and 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 I'm now looking forward to the weekends. I've got this other source of, even though it's not a game with other people, it's it's like playing Sudoku. You're kind of playing it with yourself. Um, uh, that's another source of status. I'm also volunteering. I'm, I'm going to start volunteering um, at a national, kind uh, of well-known national. Charity. I've got an, uh, an interview there on September the 11th, and and that's directly as a result of of doing the research in this book because it's like okay, so you playing these success games with your writing. It's all about competence, but where's your virtue status? Like I'm not a parent, and and you know I, I had to ask myself, what do you do for anyone? And the answer was nothing. So 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 I'm now going to start volunteering, uh, uh, and you know, selfishly, <laughs> the, the reason for that is because I I need to kind of hedge. I want to diversify my sources of status, and of course. Again, you know, like I, 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 I'm really, you know, passionately believe that we sh- we should stop seeing status as a negative thing because it, because it does drive you know people want virtue status and that's what drives the whole voluntary sector. You know, charities compete with other charities to do the most to be the most helpful. So that that's status too. That's just virtue form of status, and and so other people benefit from that. So so yeah, your your job doesn't have to be your, your only um, status game. And the final thing to say about that. Is is that um, you should never feel that you're competing with the whole world because that that that's that, that's not true. You're, you're competing with the people immediately around you. you know, you're, you're you're kind of playing a game with, with a subset of people. Um, that again, that's how we evolved in the tribe. Everybody wasn't competing with everybody. There was a gender breakdown. You know, men would compete with men, women would compete with women. Within that, there, you know, there was age. A 14-year-old wasn't competing with a, you know, 32-year-old. Uh, and there's specialisms as well. You know, there's a warrior game and a hunter and a, you know, storyteller game and a sorcerer game and a, you know, whatever. Um, so, 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 so we're always, um, and th- that's why, um, you know, it's, 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 somebody who's working as an office cleaner can be, can be happy, you know, if, if they feel that they're a really good office cleaner and they're proud of the work that they do. And they feel that actually I'm a better office cleaner than that person and that person and that person. You know, if it was true that every office cleaner in the world felt that they were competing with Michelle Obama, they'd all just throw themselves out of the, wind, the nearest window because it's just hopeless. But that's not how... the human, Thankfully, that's not how the human brain is. We don't, we don't generally feel... I mean, super ambitious people do feel like they're competing with Elon Musk. And those people are either going to be really talented and really successful or really miserable. Yeah, but 99% of people don't feel like they're competing with Elon Musk. They, they, they've got people in their lives that they feel, oh, you know... I want to I want to be at least as good as that person. I want to be better than that person, you know.
2: I know you talk about this, and we have to because it's so obvious today, which is social media. It became mm. very apparent to me recently when I heard the statistic that the percentage of businesses that ever achieve a million dollars in annual revenue is minuscule. Now, I don't remember the percentage, but it's something like 1% or or, or less than 1%, a tenth. I mean, it's tiny. My social media platform of preference these days is TikTok. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I don't care what anybody says. It's good. And what I realized is my perception of success has skewed since watching it, because naturally my For You page is entrepreneurs, podcasters, business owners, all talking about how much money they make. Everyone, boom, 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 (laughs) million dollars, million dollars. And I'm going, damn, I remember when a million dollars was like aspirational. Now it's like, if you're not 25 making a million dollars, you're nothing. So how do we counter, you know? Yeah, I know. It's true. It's true. Will do not go on TikTok. Um, (laughs) How do we counter the visibility we have to the world Okay. Our tribe kind of digitally yeah. being expanded to 7 billion plus the algorithms, which will feed us the things that bring out the worst than us, because that's what we'll watch. They know I'll yeah. watch how to strive to a million. Right.
1: Yeah. So, so, so it, the, you know, in the book, I call um, social media slot machine for status. I mean, I, you know, it's people who are into kind of the mechanics of social media they, un- they understand the whole theory that drives it which is it which is it's like a slot machine its rewards are inconsistent so um you might make a contribution to tiktok or twitter or instagram and to get zero likes or lots of thumbs downs or you might you might go amazing you know so it's like a slot machine um but but but, but you know i think there's a missing piece to the slot machine theory and that's like okay so you're gambling but what are you gambling with? And the answer is, you're gambling with status. Of course, you're gambling with status. That's what you're doing when you're when you're making contributions to social media. And uh, and moreover, you know those three games that I talked about: the dominance game, the virtue game, success game. You know, aggression, morality, incompetence, you know, success. That's social media. You flick on any social media website, and, and you'll see it's a combination of those three games being played. Is like, you know, you've got your dominance in in, in the form of like you know, you cancel culture people political people pushing each other around you've got your virtue um people you know doing the politics and putting up quotes from the dalai lama or whatever whatever right you know well wellness, wellness people are very much in the virtue space you know i i've, I've given up caffeine i've given up everything uh, except for water whatever it might be yeah and then of course there's competence there's success you know there's look at my awards look at my amazing holiday look at my car um, that's social media. It's the three status games and it's people gambling constantly. But every time you make a contribution, you're spinning that wheel again and you don't know what's going to kind of, you know, happen next. So, 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 so yeah, and I, and I think, you know, you, you quite rightly point out that social media is really bad for us because, I mean, I write about this more in a previous book of mine called Selfie, which was about, well, it's about Western self-obsession, but, but uh, about half the book is about social media. Um, you know, and and in there, right about perfectionist presentation, specifically, especially on Instagram. You know, when people are you know presenting these perfect lives, and you know th- this myth that we tell ourselves that oh, I don't care what other people think about me, which is completely untrue. You might feel that's true, but I promise you, unconsciously, you really do care about what other people think about you. You know, we, we, we are always comparing ourselves to other people. And, you know, it, 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 I, and I think that one of the toxic things about social media that makes people unhappy is that is that is that when they do encounter what well, is just like your description when you're 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 know, you feeling like you're a pretty successful guy, you know, justifiably. But then suddenly you're exposed to dude after dude after dude or person after person after person telling, the, telling you that they've earned this million and that million and the other million. And of course, it, and because you're playing the status game and it's relative that throws off your sense of value. I thought I was a valuable person, but it turns out I'm not. And so, so, so to me, that, that advocates that, that you're in a hostile environment and, and, and you should remove yourself from it because it's making you unhappy. And it's, it's actually skewing your reality. Like, it's not real that most people are millionaires. It's not real that most people are 25 earning a million dollars. That's just the people that you, are, that you are seeking out and speaking to. There's a subset of a subset of a subset of the human race. So, so, so you've created this kind of, this, this kind of crazily um, competitive and harsh... Um, status game for yourself to play in, and and what and and what you're doing is you're exposing your st- oh, your subconscious status detection systems to some really dangerous data.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's really important for for everybody to hear. I mean, social media can convince us. We know that it's not real, but it convince can convince us that that is what matters. We can say, oh, that's not real. That's, it's a small subset, but I don't think to your point, our brain is able to truly interpret that. In fact, the, the thing you said is what resonates the most. It shapes reality. So now I'm going, man, I spend time on TikTok and I'm seeing millionaire after millionaire. Then I come on my podcast and I talk to successful, intelligent person after successful, intelligent person. Then I walk outside and I live in the County that has the highest uh, median income in the country and like, wow. uh, yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm like, I'm screwed. And that's why I'm so messed up. I think what we just did is we solved all my psychological problems. Yeah,
0: say, well, yeah, but I, but I, just, I, I, I say that tongue in to cheek, I, you yeah. know,
2: I say it tongue in cheek because I, 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 truly fundamentally believe in what you're talking about. And I am of the belief that knowledge and understanding and self-awareness is the first and most important step towards living a better life. And this puts a name and a clarity to something that is so important to us that we can then focus on.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and I, again, in Selfie, I, I, I write a lot about um, kind of the self-help movement and um, and the conclusion that I came to was actually a lot of the time, if you want to improve yourself, it's not about changing who you are, it's about changing your environment, it's about changing what you're, what you expose yourself to. And I, and I think what, what you describe is a, is a, is a kind of perfect, um, case in point.
2: There's something I want to talk to you about here, which is you mentioned how social media really is the, is all three, right? Uh, aggression, morality, competence, all of those. Do we consciously choose the status games that we want to play? And if so, what is it based on?
1: That's an excellent question. So your question precisely was, do we choose the games we want to play? And that, that word want is really important because that um, dictates the kind of games we'll end up playing. And it also dictates how good we're going to be at those games, how high we're going to climb. Like it's really important that, that, we, that, that, that we play games that we want to play, that we, that we feel drawn to and we feel we're going to be good at. And a lot of that is down to our genes. You know, um, our preferences are... are um heavily kind of um based in our particular genome. Um and that that that's the kind of accent of birth, you know. So um the, like for me, I'm never gonna be um um uh, well when when I was young I wanted to be a pop star. That's my first ambition when I was, you know, 12 and 13. I tried to nice. play guitar. No. Nice. I tried to play guitar. And I had zero, I had no talent whatsoever. I was terrible. I couldn't sing. I couldn't play like, like, like I, I, like you know, when I was twelve, I worked out how to play. Every road has its storm by poison, and, and it remains at the age of forty seven the only song I could play the guitar. Yes, yes, yeah. You know, it's terrible. It's embarrassing. So, so what I ended up doing is I, I was I lived in a town where um, there was a local venue and there was loads of cool local bands. There were the cool kids, and so I ended up writing about them. I started up a local magazine. I couldn't be a musician writing about musicians and that's how I ended up being a writer. I figured that that ended up being something that I could do and so 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 you know um, that's genetic. I have no control over the fact. My parents were musicians so you know but, but for some reason I was terrible <laughs> awful so 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 um, yeah you know that's um, a lot of it is out of our control and, and I think I, I think one of the secrets, especially if you've got kids is, is finding out um, what you and what your children enjoy doing and are quite good at, you know. And, and you know, don't worry about the money so much, especially when you're really young. Go for what you're quite good at and that you enjoy doing. Go for that thing that when you start doing it, you forget what the time is and, and suddenly you've missed your dinner. You know, that, that those are the games which you should be playing. But, of course, there is choice too. Like, you know, like, like I've chosen to volunteer for... A charity because i, I you know I've, i i in a, in a kind of rational way have realized that, that there's a big chunk of my life missing and that's the the selfless part that the, the part that good for. and i think that becomes more important as you get older i think probably um so so so, so you, of course you have um you know you have especially in the west if you've got you know if, if you if, if you're relatively well off in the west we have sport for choice we can we can do hobbies um but the wanting is really important you've got to want it Because if you don't want it, you're never going to be good at it. You're never going to earn status within that game.
2: Right, I think you just provided the antidote for the myth of passion that I think gets perpetrated. So a lot of people will say, you know, find your passions, do your passions, and 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 here's why. You might be listening and say, wait, that that is kind of what Will was talking about. But I want to add this slight corollary and see what you think. Knowing we're going to play a status game, pick the one that you not only enjoy but feel like you have the best chance of succeeding in. And in that, by, by combining those two, what you will do is you will fill your evolutionary need for status in a way that feels enjoyable. And I think the reason that distinction matters is because I know for myself early on, I didn't ask, what do I want? I asked what I was good at and what does society value? And that misses what I think is the most important part, which is, yeah, but what do you want? What do you care about? And that you will never be happy doing that thing, even if you achieve status in an area you don't value.
1: I think that's, yeah, that I would completely endorse that statement, Chris. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's absolutely right. You know, you, you've got to want it, but you've also got to be able to be good at it. You know, you, you need to do both of those things. And then, you know, and then you're going to start thriving. And, and, and it really is. I mean, if you think about some of the greatest moments that you've had, you know, outside the family that aren't involved with having children and all that stuff and getting married, it, it's generally the status games that you're playing. It's the victories that you've had. It's the graduation. It's the first deal you made. It's the first dollar you made. It's the, you know, it's the first, the first, the first, the best, the best, the best, the best. you know, like, like you, you know, it's really important that we have those f- feelings that the world values us, that we have value to give to the world. And if we don't have that, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's an almost immediate path to anxiety, depression, even physically or ill health. You know, if people feel that the world doesn't value.
2: Right. Wow. I'm curious as we were talking about this, have the status games always remain the same or have they just modulated through the three you recommend? Like I would say right now, it's very much that competence piece. So over yeah. time, have we placed more value on various status games?
1: Excellent question. Yeah. So culturally things change in different cultures and things change across time. So, um, my analysis of the West, you know, because again, in, in selfie, I write a lot about this too. If you think about it the industrial revolution before the industrial revolution, um, basically the whole world is play, mostly playing virtue games and dominance games. It's the Game of Thrones land. It's about kings, queens, wars, popes, religions. That's mm-hmm. virtue and that's dominance. And yes, there's a bit of success, a bit of competence in terms of you, you've got to do farming. There wasn't much innovation going on. You know, there, were, there weren't people just didn't really... And that's because we were heavily into our virtue games. It was, people were really had this very strong religious belief. And the idea was, you know, a religious like status game is essentially know your place follow the rules don't get too ambitious your reward is in the afterlife you're going to go to heaven if you're good and hell if you're bad that's a status game rewards punishments depending on how well you're following rules it's a tech it's a textbook status game religion um so so that so that was the game that we played for generation after generation after generation after generation know your place stay in your place behave miserable, you know, or, or, or not, like or not, you know, if, if you felt like you were a good Catholic and you were gonna to go to heaven, you're probably really happy. So maybe not. Maybe <laughs> that's too flippant. But then the Industrial Revolution that changed everything because suddenly success games became cool. And suddenly, you know, and what what made the Industrial Revolution amazing was it was first a very small game played by kind of a narrow class of aristocrat, but then it spread out through the Britain and then Europe and then America. And that was the game which was about finding new and useful knowledge. And there was a competition was born. Um, Who could find the best new and useful knowledge? And when somebody presented new knowledge, who could improve it? Who could take that knowledge and improve it? And that became the scientific revolution, the scientific um, method. That became the industrial revolution. Solving problems, solving problems, solving problems. And that becomes modernity. So ever since the industrial revolution, we've been playing success games much more than virtue games you know firstly in the west and now all around the world um so, so so that's that that's the broad sweep of history and if you want to sort of kind of like hone in on the last say 100 years in the west so i think um you know the west we're very individualist we're much more kind of we're kind of prone to playing success games than virtue games because we're more about the individual than the group um i think after the Second World War and the Great Depression in the twentieth century, we were knocked into a bit more of a virtue state, much more collective. So, if you think about what was going on in the world, in the West, in in the UK, in America, you have got things like the New Deal in America. You've got things like um, which which the equivalent in the UK was the welfare state, the National Health Service. You know, we're all going to get together. We're going to think about the group, um, and out of that, you got you had collectively minded generations of people. You had. Um, You know, the hippies in the 60s, it was all collective. Screw the man. We're not materialistic. Um, Their parents were the, you know, the kind of revolutionary road, monkey suited commuters. You know, it was all very, you know, job for lifers. And then that all changed in the 80s. Reagan and Thatcher, the neoliberal revolution, um, because the economy started failing in the West. They had to find a new way of running the West. And so what happened was they changed the rules of the game. And what neoliberalism is is essentially is we're going to increase competition wherever we can find it. We're going to to get rid of all this collectivism. We're going to get rid of all the, as much state help as possible. We're going to lower taxes. We're going to just make everybody maximally competitive. And the incredible thing about neoliberalism is you see the extent to which it changed us as a people. In 1965, we were all smoking pot and saying, fuck the man. I don't want materialistic things. I'm happy to live in my TP, you know, in Woodstock or whatever. Yeah. Twenty years later, greed is good. Wall Street era. Twenty years, yeah. of absolute reversal in who we are as a Western person, and what changed in the middle of those years? Well, it's the economy. The rules of the game changed because Thatcher and Reagan brought in this neoliberal revolution, and so so I think we've been in we, we've been in that neoliberal success game space from the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And I think something changed a little bit in 2008 with the global financial crisis. I think a new generation of young, educated Westerners, millennials and Gen Zs were born who were much more sceptical about success games because of the financial crisis, because of recession, because actually they were finding it harder than their parents were to play these success games. Life was getting tougher. So what you see is... um, since 2008, is this move back into virtue games. And I think that when you're looking at the social justice movement, progressive activism, cancel culture, I think that's people who, in, in, if there were boomers and Gen Xs, would have been playing success games. But because that's really hard now, they're moving into the virtue space. Wow. So that's why I think we've seen the rise of this new political movements on the left, and, you know, and, and it's driving some of the, a lot of the polarisation that we're seeing.
2: Wow, that that's just incredible what you just said. Essentially, as the rules of the game change, our behavior will change to still achieve status, but we will do it maybe in the way with least resistance or the way that the game steers us.
1: If you change the rules of the games of life, you change the people. That's the creepy thing like you really do, you know, it, it, there's actually a, a chapter in the book called Change the Game, Change the Player. You, you know, it, it's kind of sinister how vulnerable we are to change. Yeah. As soon as we find out, we, you see it in our generation, like say say, um, say, say, the Me Too movement. So the Me Too movement changed the virtue rules of the, of the game in the UK, Canada and and America mainly. And suddenly the way that men treated women, the rules changed. And so men changed. And suddenly, you know, the the ways that we think and behave in 2022 are very different to the ways we thought and behaved in 2012 and, you know, 1992. We changed. Our values changed the way we, we, the way, you know, the way that, you know, you talk to them about the authentic self. I'm slightly dubious about that concept because I know it's fluid. You know, so We changed. You know, as a people, when the rules of the game changed, so uh, you know you, you see it on the level of the corporation. If you if you put a bunch of otherwise well-meaning people into a company like Enron, which is a you know a, a, a corrupt um, culture in which status is very hard to come by, they're, they're going to start behaving in corrupt ways. They're going to change. It, there's an incredible paper that I talk about in the book, written by a American, a New York lawyer, big 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 name lawyer. He wrote this extraordinary paper, um, an address to young legal students who wanted to work at the big, big, big lawyer shops in, in New York. And he he basically said, you're going to become corrupt because it, it happened to me and it happens to everybody who works for these companies. And, and the reason for that is that um, um, when you start as a lawyer, um, you're going to start competing on the basis of how much money you earn because people's wages are published in these legal periodicals you're going to get invited to your partner's house at the weekend and you're going to be see there's a massive beautiful place up in the hamptons and you're going to go wow and you're going to be served martinis and you know this that, and the other he really like paints the picture and you're going to become obsessed about you know how can i earn that much money how how can i compete with these people but the problem being a Lawyer on that level is you are already working as hard as it's possible to work. You can't work any harder. Lawyers are miserable. They get divorced. They get addicted to alcohol and drugs. Like the, you know, they, they they live they live they're incredibly competitive people playing incredibly competitive status games. So the only way to compete is by becoming corrupt. Is by billing for three hours when you've actually worked two. Is by accidentally losing these documents that were unhelpful to your case that you were supposed to show the judge. And you know, and, and what, what, what gave that paper to me moral force was, was this guy who was then a judge saying, it happened to me, I did this. And, and, I, and it will happen to you, I promise you. It, it, there was some line in there where you're gonna go from somebody who's over the moon about buying a $400 car stereo to somebody who feels infuriated and insulted by only getting a $400,000 bonus. Yeah. You know, like, and so you've changed because the rules of your game have changed and it changes you. And you know, we see this happening. You know, that that has the ring of truth to me. It does. Well, and and you know, what strikes me is
2: the the first one you mentioned dominance, aggression. Imagine if the government came out and said, you know, look, we're overpopulated, so we can only support a third of the population and the rest are going to be kicked off the island or whatever. All of a sudden that becomes the status game that you want to play right? All of a sudden people are getting their guns and they I mean, you know, it's like almost overnight. So that is a terrifying concept.
1: Yeah. And you can imagine that people would, people would change. Right. Like, you know, I, I care a little less know, like, about, like, like, you
2: know, what my job title is and how big my arms are so I could strangle somebody. I mean, this is a little Hunger Games-esque, but I'm using the end of the spectrum to highlight what you're talking about, which is- how we shift. And I really like how you walked up through like 1980, like you're right. What happened prior to and afterwards and all of those things. Well, it's it's a, it's a phenomenal concept and, and I love it because, um, it adds, I think some solid ground to a lot of things we feel around Mm -hmm. purpose and passion or around drive around misery, uh, around loneliness um, there's a lot there, and it's because, as you said at the very beginning, it's the best in us and the worst in us, which is everything in life, right? It, it truly is. If it's worth doing, then the opposite is all, often usually um, you know, the counter. So I know we're at time here. Um, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Again, um, the book here I got pulled up is The Status Game on Human Life and How to Play It, you know, tell us where you are, where we can follow you. You mentioned the book "Selfie" as well, which now I'm curious about. Uh, are, are you on Instagram, and and where can we find you? I'm really on Twitter. Twitter
1: which is at w, yeah at w uh, Instagram is William Store. Yeah, yeah. So 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 obviously, feel free to follow me there. But but Twitter is is where most of my work stuff lives.
2: We will we'll we'll link to the Twitter uh, Twitter page so we can learn more, and of course to the books. Will, really appreciate you being on. Excellent stuff.
1: Thanks, Chris. I had a great time talking. Thanks for having me on.
0: This week's guest was Will's store. As always, it was hosted by Chris Stemp and edited by yours truly, John Rojas. Will's book, The Status Game, is available wherever books are sold. On to the housekeeping items. As you heard in the intro, make sure you check out Chris's new podcast, The Week on Earth, check it out at weekonearth.com. If you'd ever like to reach out to Smart People Podcast, email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up And we'll see you all next episode.